Hello and welcome to this week's Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's weekly current affairs programme. My name's Emma Webb and I'm your host. And this week, as always, I'm joined by Senior Fellow and Royal Historian Rafe Hadel-Mankou and Senior Fellow and Cultural Historian Philip Kisseli. So this week we have seen in the news Roald Dahl being uh, edited by sensitivity readers mm. retrospectively. We've seen the police uh, having a list of what they call um, contentious statues and we've also seen the good news at least of Shamima Begum having her appeal to return to the UK being rejected. So let's start off by talking about this story uh, to do with Roald Dahl and the fact mm. that they have been using these sensitivity readers that normally would would edit works before publication going back like offence archaeologists and editing mm. Roald Dahl's work in hindsight to make it politically correct to make it accord with the ideology of, of the current progressive orthodoxy. Yes, so when I first saw this I was quite uh, amazed because I understood that Roald Dahl's family still had ownership of, mm. of the books, but it turns out that Netflix purchased the rights to Roald Dahl's uh, works in 2021. So this is actually woke corporatism mm -hmm. now entering a much valued and hallowed part of, of our pantheon of, of, of writers and literature. And the problem with, there are two problems here. First, of course, is the excising of wonderful language, mm. but also it's the fact that the sensitivity readers aren't sensitivity writers. So they're not just replacing <laughs> yes. words, they're replacing an inferior form of style and writing at the same time as all of this. And you know, language is supposed to evolve naturally, not by edict and diktat. So yes, if current writers and future writers choose to use different words, that's fine. But it doesn't mean that we have to revisit uh, the words of the past. And I'll just give you some examples for the audience at home to know what we're talking about. So in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, for example, Augustus Gloop, who's of my proportions, is no longer called fat, it's now called enormous. Mm. Mrs. Twit from the Twits mm. is no longer ugly and beastly, it's just beastly. Um, the words crazy and mad have been removed because <coughs> of mental health issues. Um, but most crazy of all, I think, is <laughs> the fact that the coat of the BFG can no longer be described as black. <laughs> and also, <laughs> Mary in the BFG now goes still as a statue rather than white as a sheet. And you just think, what possible racist connotations can there be with, with those sorts of things? It's, it's actually quite remarkable. There's a, there's a better one. There's a, there's a quote uh, where one of the characters, a female character, wears a wig and, and they've added on an extra sentence that, that, that says, oh, she wears a wig. And the extra sentence is, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Oh, what, one of the uh, changes was um, of one of the witches being a cashier. Now they are a leading scientist. That's right. yeah. <laughs> it's not just a scientist, it was a top scientist. <laughs> it's not just enough to be like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely remarkable. I mean, one, one, of, one of the things about this was, I think Roald Dahl made me fall in love with literature. I think it was um, Johnny, the champion of the world, which was the, the, the book that I first, you know, we've all got that first book, haven't we? Where we, we, we it, it introduces us to the, the amazing world of literature. And, and actually part of the appeal is that, that Roald Dahl managed somehow to present a slightly dangerous world, a slightly grotesque world, which mm -hmm. children adore because children are about pushing boundaries and finding new things. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of that is just expunged from it. And they go from being these amazing adventures into being 
fussy and goody two-shoes and children naturally don't like you've that hit on kind so of thing. You've hit on something there that I think is really important and if going back to something we discussed before uh, in, a, in previous episodes, Meghan Markle's awful children's book, yeah. that Roald Dahl's literature was so loved by yeah. so many generations of children particularly because it is child-centered it, it's 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 looking through the eyes of a child and a kind of magical world where where more is possible than mm. adults would like to admit and um and it's it's believable it's just slightly believable and slightly magical from mm. the perspective of a child whereas what these sensitivity readers are doing it's nothing to do with the children it's yeah. about trying to impose what the adults want the adults ideological agenda mm. on the children mm. and they've hired so the 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 um, publishing house that's hired in this this company i think it's called something like inclusive minds that are uh, what it's, else it's what so, else is it going to be it's called? so part of the like equality and diversity industrial complex isn't it that mm. you have these these gravy train organizations that come in and they give their expertise from their lived experience to to edit the text to make them more inclusive but actually do you think that you know in trying to make them more inclusive that the, what they're actually excluding is children absolutely i mean and it's and it's and it's the same old thing. It's what it's what people do with uh, adult entertainment as well in terms of television, film, literature. It's assume the lowest common denominator stupidity in mm -hmm. people. And what you've got to do with children is is assume that they've got this incredible imagination which they have, and they are connoisseurs of the grotesque. You know. And so the the great <laughs> thing again that I say about Roald Dahl is he know he knew how perfectly how to pitch that so it's interesting but not frightening mm -hmm. uh, and and I remember as a child being taken into this world it was about poaching this book so it's been going into, into into the night and 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 poaching and this adult stuff which, which was just amazing but I mean where's it where's it going to end I mean that's the that's the question isn't it you know what what are we going to do are we going to because it's already happening with with adult <laughs> fiction are we are we going to are we going to stop having murder stories because uh, well, because people might go out and commit murder well I think it's fascinating because I'm a great fan of horror for example mm. and so I go onto Netflix and I try to look at the modern stuff that's coming out and they're full of grotesque old hags when you have just portraying witches or zombies and so forth and it seems as if it's fine to visually portray mm. a fat ugly old creature but you can't write the words down mm. there's this sort of strange dichotomy yeah. we have at the mm -hmm. moment but you're absolutely right children love the grotesque the horrible mm. that's why you have a program called horrible histories right it's for that same sort of thing they love the the, the bizarre and you just have to think about the, 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 the Brothers Grimm, for mm. example. Mm. And once you sanitize that, once you say children lose interest yeah. and they mm -hmm. won't have that same passion that you have in that key moment in your, in your youth. But, you know, yeah, why stop there? What about Noddy and Big Ears? Big Ears is surely just as bad as, 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 as being fat. He'd be having his ears pinned back. Yeah, the fat controller from Thomas and the Tank Engine. Does that now have to go? Where, where, mm. where do you end all this? So Tim, Tim Stanley, uh, I thought it was brilliant. He wrote this article for The Telegraph and saying that, that this reminded him of Victorian prudes going through an art gallery drawing knickers on all of the nudes. Do you think that this is you know, something that we've seen throughout history? This is just you know, prudes who are trying to impose their sensibilities onto texts from the past, onto works of art and so on? Or do you think that 
as we've discussed more broadly in relation to statues, as we'll, we'll come on to in a minute, that this is actually something that's much more sinister I, than that. I think it's both of those things. I think it's both of those things simultaneously, yeah. because on the one hand, it is Prude saying, you're not allowed to do this, you know, taking the joy out of life. But on the other hand, it's actually working. So young people now, lots of, we've just had a conversation about this actually, haven't we? Mm -hmm. Where lots of young people are turning into to the prudes that, that, that people are making them. Mm -hmm. So it's actually working, and that's the really the Mary Whitehouses, yeah, the progressive it's, it's generation. The Mary, it's the it's the it's the uh, it's the young fogies, uh, Mary Whitehouse thing, and mm -hmm. and that's the really that's the really frightening thing. I I see it. I see it in my professional life. It wasn't as apparent five years ago. I don't know whether I've said this before. Actually, it wasn't as apparent five years ago. But but young people who've been drenched in this stuff from birth. Mm -hmm. How can they escape it? You know, some of them will, but most of them won't. Why do you Why do you think this has blown up so much? Because there have been lots of stories recently about texts being changed, sensitivity readers, statues, street names that haven't blown up as much as this Roald Dahl story has. This seems to have really touched a nerve. Because it's <laughs> he's so ubiquitous mm. in the lives of this country. Mm. Uh, when you just think about how many generations have grown up with those mm -hmm. stories since mm -hmm. they first began to come out in the 1960s. And when you have your childhood memories tampered with, yeah. that mm -hmm. taps into a very deep emotional response. Mm. That's why you have people like Philip Pullman, mm. um, Salman Rushdie, all coming out and, and saying how outrageous mm. this sort of thing is. But it goes across, you know, and I, you're quite right, we did have the prudery of the Victorian era. This is more sinister because it's ideologically driven it's to a degree in which driven. the prudery of the past wasn't. And yes, Lady Chatterley's lover wasn't allowed to come out, and yes, in the, in the 19th century they were filling in the, the nipples on the 18th century paintings. But this is very different because they're actually revisiting literature in a way that we haven't seen before. And I was trying to think, what does this equate to in our history? And I can only think of the Protectorate under Oliver Cromwell yeah. as being the last time you had this sort of a sinister ideological movement yeah. to refashion mm -hmm. society. Yeah. And as you say, the difference also is the fact that children today are growing up as if this is the norm. Yeah. That's why this is far more sinister. And actually, you know, I just want to finish my contribution on this with quoting from George Orwell on this, because mm -hmm. this issue and the issue you said all about Black Boy Lane <coughs> and about the statues which we'll get to, he, in 1984, he, he describes Britain as a place in which, quote, every record has been destroyed or falsified, yeah. every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. No. You completely preempted me because I was just about to say that one aspect of Orwell's um, Orwell's idea of that this rewrite, constant rewriting, is the idea of the memory hole that that the, the protagonist Winston Smith works uh, in in the Ministry of Truth, memory holding yeah. um, things that have been rewritten. So. Uh, there have been a lot of people on social media who have said that they are either holding on to their contraband copies of yeah. Roald Dahl oh, yeah. or trying to buy copies of Roald Dahl that haven't been changed because it's not just that 
you know, I think people think only in terms of their own time. It's the same with the rewriting of street mm. names. That once these things have been rewritten, we assume that people will remember that th this is a rewrite. But actually, the reality is they that that's not how history no. works. No, things isn't. will get lost, and the original yeah. versions of Roald Dahl and the original memory of of um, of those struck. I was thinking the other day, I was. Um, uh, in a cab, and I noticed that there was a, a pub called the Duchess of, um, I think it was called the, the Duchess of Kent. And then just around the corner, the next road was uh, something like Arundel Street, and obviously the Dukes of Kent seat is in Arundel. Mm. Um, and it made the me Dukes think. Dukes of Norfolk. So the Dukes of Norfolk, uh, it must have been the Duchess of Norfolk. Um, and it made me think that, you know, the, the ways in which our geography and our geographical memory would, would be changed like you wouldn't think well that might be something interesting to look into what mm. the history of this particular area might be mm. um, but I, th that I, th I think there's another reason as well why this has been such a, a big thing and it's juxtaposition it's mm -hmm. the brilliance of the writing versus the tinier the stupidness of, 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 of the newer version mm -hmm. um, and I think Everyone's appalled by that. Even even the people on that side must see that that this is just it's it is so. It's always a word I used before. It's grotesque. Mm -hmm. And it's not entirely new, of course. I'm old enough to have the original Noddy books and and, and Enid Blyton, where you've got the gollywogs yeah. mm -hmm. uh, in my in my copies and now. Versions of Tintin as well. Now they're all goblins, right? Yeah. Instead, instead of instead of gollywogs. But you're quite right. The idea here is to refashion Western society into a year zero, mm -hmm. and by making things off limits. You eventually remove them from the collective memory, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the national memory. So yeah, memory holding is just the same thing. So that ties in very neatly to this story that you've um, been on Talk TV talking to Kevin O'Sullivan about um, the, these content contentious statues that mm. have been listed by the police as potentially being mm. at risk of vandalism. One of them was the Cenotaph, others were statues of Sir Winston Churchill. So do you, do you want to tell us a bit more about yes. those contentious statues? So this, so this is a secret list that the Metropolitan Police have compiled, which was um, uh, revealed by Policy Exchange Think Tank in a report that they did. And this secret list is of contentious statues. Now, it's fine for the police to have a, a list of statues that they think may be targets for Antifa and the far left, but to call statues like Sir Winston Churchill or to call a national monument like the Cenotaph contentious is essentially to give uh, credence to yeah. the arguments of the far left that these are mm -hmm. somehow what's contentious to whom is the cenotaph contentious and for what reason mm -hmm. we're talking about the world's most modest and simple and austere mm -hmm. um, commemoration not of war but of the tragedy of war mm -hmm. of the loss of war this doesn't glorify empire in any way cenotaph means an empty tomb and you just sort of think about those few remaining second world war veterans mm. whose friends laid down their lives to fight for the freedoms we enjoy today and which are being abused by the far left through these vicious attacks and desecrations of these of these monuments yeah I, I was i was thinking about it in in a similar kind of way but i was also thinking about emblems and and statues are an obvious and they were the first emblem in this kind of post-BLM 
uh, culture war that, that we've seen since you know since since about 2018 2019 but there are also other things as well aren't there you know along with statues there are things like cars cars have become a major thing haven't they you know mm -hmm. with the with the with, with the environmental thing you know and the other thing is food as well so uh, there's another story we've been talking about which is the uh, Cambridge University forcing everyone to be vegan in the canteen. You know, it's a similar kind of thing, you know. So if, if, if statues are off limits, if the cenotaph is off limits and cars are off limits, and my God, the food we eat is off limits, then it's an all out assault, isn't it? It's interesting that in some ways our society seems to be completely incapable of taking a moral stance on something. The Church of England is a perfect example of yeah. this. Impo it find it impossible to assert any kind of value on society but at the same time from this other direction we are actually seeing this imposition of uh, an extremely restrictive mm. kind of moral framework on society where you have to be vegan you have to be zero carbon you have to be mm. you know you have to be sensitive to all of these sort of orthodox considerations that it's 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 more than a kind of prudishness it's a kind of i know lots of people have said it's a new religion but it's interesting that in some ways we're incapable of 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 you know promoting the values that we've inherited as mm. a society but these new values don't they're not even recognized well, well, they're, as a, such. they're a complete anathema to, yeah. the, to the values of the past and you so you have to actually question mm. them what are the motives here mm. and the motives aren't to actually try to raise society up to a new set of morals it's actually at its heart uh, a nihilistic mm. attempt mm. Uh, fueled out of cultural self-loathing and national self-loathing but it, it, it's an attempt to undermine the very foundations <laughs> of British society. You've got to remember the far left, these are cultural Marxists, detest the, the notion of a nation state. Mm. And who are they attacking? They're attacking Winston Churchill, they're attacking Francis Drake, they're attacking mm. Nelson, the Cenotaph, uh, you know things that symbolise the very essence mm. of Britishness and of the British spirit. That and, is the. And I think I think the only way it's going to change, the only way the you know the the oil tanker is going to turn round, is if we get right down to rock bottom. Now I don't know what rock bottom is going to be, but it's almost as if you said it was like a, a religion. We we've, we've, we've mm -hmm. said it's like a cult. It's also like an addiction. I think mm -hmm. and the only way you get over that addiction you know this addict I, I'm addicted to, to virtue I'm addicted to demonstrating mm -hmm. how good I am I'm addicted to telling you that you're evil and wicked and far right the only way you get out of addiction or ma many mm -hmm. people get out of addiction is to hit rock bottom and that's a really depressing thing mm -hmm. to say I know but I think it's true and that's how I, I more and more I'm seeing this as an addiction and people afflicted with an addiction. Well, it's, a, it's a long hard road though and it's yeah. difficult to see where the light at the end of that tunnel will be yeah. when you consider you have at least three generations beneath us yeah. um, who are inculcated and indoctrinated yeah. with yeah. this viewpoint. We, with teacher training colleges are actually at the black heart of this ideology and this yeah. work movement, not just in universities, but in primary schools, mm. secondary schools, where you have children being taught about slavery and and and, and racism at, at, a, at a very 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 young age. So the, the equivalent of this, in terms of hitting rock bottom, would be Central and Eastern Europe, right, where they had um, all of their statues removed, they had uh, they had their history rewritten, they had national heroes mm. written out of out of the national story in order to recreate this communist ideal, and it was only with the collapse of communism 
that you had this restoration well, you, of national symbols an and flags. You? you had an ancestor who was... So the oldest civic statue in Lviv, in Ukraine, which was for centuries part of Poland, was of my ancestor who led the cavalry at the siege of Vienna against the Turks. But for, but for Lviv, he saved the city of Lviv hmm. from, from Tatra and Muslim invasion. And his was the oldest civic statue in Lviv. And as soon as the Soviets took over Poland, uh, which included Ukraine, behind the Iron Curtain, they removed that statue, it's been gone forever, there have been lots of efforts tried to, to relocate it, but that was part of the way that you, you tried to get a mm. society to submit, was yeah. to remove all of the visible ties that connected the people to their national story, mm. and that's what we're seeing exactly here. Do you think that, so that if the police have actually, the police have swallowed these ideas clearly by unthinkingly probably describing these statues as being contested mm. but actually in some ways that battle has already been lost because you can't in the same way as we've seen museum curators who want to hand back all of the museum's items to other countries they don't they believe that museums are in, uh, in inherently racist and mm. therefore museums shouldn't exist that the caretakers of our cultural inheritance can't be trusted no. with our cultural inheritance and that the police can't be trusted to defend uh, to defend statues that they already believe are contested because that means they're saying well we can't take a stance on this yeah. but in doing so they are taking a stance because they they're, they're by being neutral mm. they are already putting themselves in a well, difficult I, position I, I think just to make the point very quickly I, I think what's going to happen is that our national culture is going to become a rebellious folk culture mm -hmm. and that's precisely what's happened in in Central and, and Eastern Europe. So my father came out of Hungary in 1956, always held that culture with him. And, and when we went back in, in the 70s and 80s, it was, it was very much a, 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 a subterranean culture. The idea of Hungarianness, the idea of national, in, uh, nationalism was always there but it was just subterranean, and I think that's how it's going to go here. And make no mistake, we are living in a post-revolutionary society. Yes. Our institutions have been captured, and the far-left radical extremists and Antifa you see on the street mm. are just the foot soldiers of this movement, yeah. which has full support from top to bottom. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, Philip mentioned hitting rock bottom, mm. and I don't really want to know what that place looks like, but do you think that actually we will we'll, we'll, we'll be seeing a kind of gradual, as we saw this sort of like flurry of activity, of vandalism and statues being removed and things like that, that actually if, if the revolution has happened as such, and that a lot of these ideas have already been sort of digested by the police and other institutions that what we'll see over the next 10, 15, 20 years is a gradual undermining and erosion of, you know, even things like the cenotaph, the idea of the sanctity of that yeah, place, the idea certainly. of respect to the dead, that mm. culturally speaking, as the generations that have been educated in recent decades become adults, that we will see the gradual undermining of our entire cultural inheritance. Absolutely, you know, we're only ankle deep in, in the quicksand mm. and we have a long 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 way to go um, I don't know how and I don't expect in my lifetime to, to see this improving in any way whatsoever and on my on you know I'm on Facebook and you get these reminders of anniversaries ten years ago I had a reminder that I put a photograph of a National Portrait Gallery exhibition on uh, Churchill yeah. okay. and it said Winston Churchill peacemaker mm. and I just thought gosh how far we've come in ten years you mm. couldn't yeah. imagine any gallery in this country 
describing Churchill in that manner. You know, 20 years ago, I, I was pleased to be with Mo Molan at the BBC, putting forward Churchill's case for being mm. the greatest Britain, mm. and the nation voted overwhelmingly for that. And I, I still think a lot, most of the nation still would, but that percentage would be far smaller now than it was mm -hmm. then. Yeah, imagine that now. I mean, but, but you're absolutely right, Rafe. I suppose just to finish the point. It is. We're in a, a post-revolutionary society. It's been a Kierkegaardian revolution, a, a Gramscian revolution, and, and we're, we're way down the road. We're way down the road. Well, that's nice and depressing. So shall we move <laughs> on to the good news that Begum is not being allowed back into the yeah, country? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, so this week also in the news, we've seen that the um, court has ruled that, um, the, that it was right to strip Begum of her citizenship and yeah. she won't be allowed back. However, um, we shouldn't count our chickens before they hatch because the legal team have been very clear that they're going to keep trying to mm. get her back here and that they will probably endlessly appeal mm. um, wherever they can. So the decision is sort of final but not really final. Yeah. But it is good news at least for now that there's a kind of recognition that despite this ridiculous campaign of putting Begum on the cover of Time magazine and trying to make her out to be some kind of victim, yeah. that still the courts have got their wits about them and have, have upheld that decision. Maybe they've seen evidence that is not in the public domain. Well, I think they have, and I think, I think, I think that's one of the reasons why. But it always, it always makes me laugh when, when, I, when I see the, the leftists you know, go for this kind of thing, because they've, I mean, they've got lots and lots of previous with this. I mean, they adored the spoony about the IRA, weren't they? Mm. But now we've got this, you know, ISIS bride. It's 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 got everything, you know. It's it's got ethnicity. It's got Islam. It's got everything. There's mass appeal. Baseball to the, cap and a bit well, of lippy. Well, mass appeal to the to the leftist mindset. It, uh, you know, ISIS is like the Bay City Rollers of terrorist groups, isn't it? It's got everything going for them. Um, and and you just, you know. The interesting thing is that the, the, the people who desperately want her to come back, they're not interested in national security. In fact, that's, that's the last thing on their mm -hmm. minds. You know, they want to undermine that. And she is a threat and she's obviously going to be a magnet for, for every lunatic and, and she's going to stir up all of that, all, all of that hatred. She doesn't mm -hmm. actually have to do anything. Yeah. All she has to do is be here. She's a symbol now. She's a symbol. And, and of um, course she's going to be, you know, she's going to be a celebrity. But this is what we was, I was about to say, we were, we were talking before we started filming, that if she comes back here, she will probably become a celebrity and some kind of millionaire. She'll be a, uh, as well as being a flashpoint for these sorts of issues, she's mm. going to become some oh, kind yeah. of reality TV star. And don't think she wouldn't end up in the Big Brother house, you know? Yeah. I mean, absolutely right, you know? And she, well, you know, the BBC, the, the Bacon Broadcasting Corporation <laughs> gave her her own, her own podcast. This is an attempt to rehabilitate mm. this woman. And so despite all of that, the courts have, through every stage of this process, thwarted her attempts. And mm. I'm actually quite hopeful that, mm -hmm. uh, that this will ultimately prove successful because as you say the security services still regard her as a threat mm. a lot of information we're not privy to mm. and those and those decisions um, have been made and you know she's made her bed and unfortunately for her it's a refugee camp yeah. bed and she's going to have to uh, be content to sleep in there for for the future and for all those bleeding hearts who have been moaning on twitter today i've been looking at them saying oh, what a disgrace this is save your tears for those poor Yazidi women who yeah. were yeah. raped, enslaved as sex slaves, those people who were beheaded, Absolutely. set on fire, yeah. and tortured. Why do we hear nothing about them? Why are you championing yeah. this woman when there are all, when all of these 
really disgusting things happen to people. Well, it just goes to show, doesn't it, the moral bankruptcy of the left and yeah. of, the, of the media establishment, that they don't really even think twice about the fact that they're giving this woman this huge platform to, to whinge about her victimhood. And I'd love to see South Park do an episode about mm. Shamima Bailey, oh, yeah. as they've done with Ari and Megan. But the fact that they can do this without even batting an eyelid at the... the because you know it's not going to make them it's not going to get them the clicks if they put a Yazidi woman on the front of yeah. of the magazine but they're not they just they don't seem to even have these sorts of considerations and now they're trying to basically do the job of, of Begum's PR team yeah. by um, spinning this argument that she was sex trafficked and that you know trying to create this kind of victimhood narrative even though after she'd already started making her appeals to come back here to the UK, she'd said that she was happy that she'd met her husband, that she wouldn't have met him if she uh, back in England. I, as far as I know, she stayed in touch with him. I think they may even still be married. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, his, I, his mother, her husband's mother, has come out saying I, that she should be allowed back into the UK. Well, I was I, the same thing on Twitter. I'd, I'd called her a, a tweet, I think, from a couple of weeks ago. I'd, I'd said she's obviously a, a, a psychopath. You know, and and a, a lot of leftists have come back and said, uh, "How do you know you're a historian? You're not. A, you're not a psychologist." <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking the, the the basket full of severed heads. You know, in in the front garden. You know, and she's going about her business singing show tunes. You know, I think I think that's uh, well, probably not. I, I made a mistake I, about what you think was saying is absolutely correct. Look. This woman was 15 when she went over, right? Mm. But this idea that she was a, some young, naive teenage girl in she 2000, was a student she, was well. a she was a recruiter. She was a recruiter, right, for the caliphate. Mm. And in 2019, when they finally found her in this refugee camp, she was 20 years old, and she said that she had no regrets whatsoever mm. about joining ISIS. It was only a year later, 2021, just you know, two years ago, when her passport became an issue of peril, mm -hmm. yeah. that she suddenly changed her story when she knew that yeah. it was in her advantage. And even the journalist, and you never hear that mentioned by journalists. And the journalist you know, right? who interviewed her said that she's changed her story every mm. single time as yeah. well. Yeah, and, and uh, it, none of it actually matters. The, the only thing that matters is: is she a threat to national security? Mm -hmm. Yes. So she can't come back. But there's a bigger issue here, though, and that's forget Sharma Begum. There are there were 900 at least other people from this country mm -hmm. yeah. that went to Syria to fight for ISIS in the, in the caliphate, mm -hmm. yeah. and half of those at least have come back. That's around 500 people, and these are battle-hardened yeah. men who are running up and down the. And on, with with Sharma Begum, she at least had or could have claimed Bangladeshi citizenship. So you can strip yeah. your British citizenship away, but the UN doesn't allow us to make somebody stateless. Yeah. I've argued that we have in Britain, we've got various types of citizenship. You've got British citizen, you've got British subject, British national, also something called British overseas citizen, yeah. where you have a citizenship and a passport and the right to consular advice but you don't have the right of abode here. Oh. And I always right. say from the beginning, all of those who went over to Syria should have had their citizenship tweaked to British overseas yeah. citizens, so they're still British, but they don't have the right mm -hmm. to return. And that would have been, because we now and have to deal with the reality of, of the fact that we have 500 terrorists in this country, along with thousands of others, mm -hmm. tens of thousands of others who sympathize with yeah. them. And ultimately they're, they're traitors who want, to, yeah. who want to massacre infidels. It's treason. Yeah. It's what I find really frustrating is that the, and every single time I debate this, it's always the same argument that it's racist that she was stripped of her citizenship, mm -hmm. ignoring the fact that one of the other jihadis who had their citizenship revoked was Jack Letts, who was a dual Canadian citizen, mm -hmm. who obviously is himself white and male. But if 
I, I actually think that the part of this is is actually quite sexist because they, they wouldn't be spinning this victimhood narrative if she was a male fighter who'd no. gone over at the age of 50. He would be still rightly demonised for doing so. Um, but this the entire sort of narrative around her is that she's this innocent young girl, it, completely ignoring the fact that she went to go and take part in, in building a terrorist state that has committed genocide. It's totally it's paternalistic. It's, like, it's almost like putting a Nazi on the front yeah, of, of Time magazine. It's totally paternalistic. And in a way, it's similar to what you were saying a couple of weeks ago about the mm -hmm. online misogyny censorship. Thing. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Yeah. It's exactly the same thing, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. completely paternalistic. Oh, she's a woman, so we've got to treat her differently. Uh, no, she's a traitor. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that that's the conclusion. <laughs> Shamima Begum is a traitor and she won't be coming back. We hope at least that any appeals in the future will not be successful. So thank you for watching. Thank you, Rafe. Thank you, Philip. Yeah. Please like, comment, subscribe below, and we will see you next time on Newspeak. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember, to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.